Amen. Um, so this Friday night, one of the things that we've announced over the past couple of weeks is our foster adoptive family dinner. And we want to take a moment to just pray over it as a community of faith, as a church family. This is a huge ministry of, of need in our city, in our community. Um, and this is a, a great opportunity for us as a church family to, to rally around, to pray for, and to serve. And so this Friday from 6 to 8 p.m., um, and if you volunteer from 5 to 8 p.m., we're going to be serving foster and adoptive families within our church, but also within the community as a whole. And so this week, if you don't mind, be thinking and praying about this. And, you know, as, as you eat dinner on Friday night, think about it and maybe pray it, uh, pray about it. Um, and if you would like to serve in, in this capacity, it's only a one-time commitment, um, but I know Caroline would deeply appreciate it. And the, the, essentially the way it's set up is we have a, a nice dinner for the foster adoptive parents. And then we, as, as a church, care for the foster adoptive children. And so it gives them a night just to relax and rest and enjoy, um, enjoy the moment with just them and their spouse and, and some others that, that are going through the same struggle. So if the Lord lays it on your heart, you would like to serve in this way, um, you can sign up online at ridgedalebaptist.org slash events. Or if you really, you're not still sure how to do that or you forget how to do that, text me, email me or Caroline throughout this week and we'll get you signed up. Um, we've got classes all the way from babies through, um, all the way through, I think, at least middle school. And so we need people and we're gonna need people to serve food. And so we would love for you guys to have the opportunity to serve in that way. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and if just quietly at your seat, if you'll just pray and ask God to bless that, to bless and strengthen those families and for these kids to, to feel deeply loved and um, deeply known as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that, that just as, as the song we just sang, that, that you love the dear children. And so, God, I thank you for so many families who have stood in the gap and said, yes, I'm going to care for um, children that, that need a space, um, that need to be loved, are, are deserving of love. And I, I pray, God, that this Friday night be a time for them to to rest and relax and enjoy, um, that it would be an encouragement to the families. God, we pray that this would be a missional opportunity as well. Help us to love the families within our church. God, and we ask that you bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them as they minister in that way. But also, God, we pray that those families that are not uh, associated with our church. As they come, God, would they sense in, uh, your Holy Spirit's presence? Would you draw them to yourself through this? Would you encourage them? God, help us to be a church that, that lives on mission. I pray for the volunteers and uh, God, as, as we care for the children, would you strengthen us and give us wisdom? I pray, God, that this, would have, this event would go to your glory and to your honor 
and to the children's benefit as well as the parents. May this be a springboard into the next season of, of ministry that inevitably is going to be busy uh, for them and, and may sometimes be challenging and difficult as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, we're starting our new series this morning as we jump into the Christmas season. And that series is talking about that the Lord Jesus has come, that the King has come. And so we are going to be reading first from the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to initially be reading from. One of the things that I, I love about Away in a Manger, the, the Christmas hymn that we just sang, is that there's a great deal of depth there, but there's also a cry to it, a cry from the heart. As, as you sang, one of the things that it talked about is it, it pleads with the Lord Jesus to continue to be with us, doesn't it? It asks, it asks the Lord to, to remain with us and to stay with us as he fits us for heaven. And so it, it, it kind of exemplifies this process of sanctification. And, and it, it shows that there is this kind of painful part of our lives that, yes, the Holy Spirit is with us, but it's, it's difficult in that we don't physically have Jesus with us anymore. And, and so we're kind of in this season of where we, we kind of wait and hope and long and look forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But as we look back and at the first coming of the Lord Jesus, we see that the word Advent in Latin means arrival. And it's talking about this season is looking specifically at the incarnation. Now the incarnation leads to the cross and ultimately to, to the resurrection and to Jesus's ascension. And all of that is in play. But there is one, there's a beautiful part about the Christmas story that, that we see in a very direct, real way that God is with us, that he lo deeply, deeply loves humanity. And, and not just the Jewish people, certainly the Jewish people, but that this Savior has come for all people that all mankind might come to him and be saved. And we see this in Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. And when you get there, say word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus's origin is supernatural. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people, his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see the, the kind of the interaction at play between Mary and Joseph, which is an interesting one because while they were betrothed and legally married, the marriage had not been consummated because in Jewish weddings, there's a period of time where there's kind of this intermediary after um, essentially the betrothal process, which means you're legally married, but the, the husband goes away to prepare a place. And so while they're legally married, he, he would have had to have divorced her. God comes and form, an angel of the Lord comes and says, don't divorce her. In fact, this truly is something that is supernatural. She's going to bear a son and his name is Jesus and he will be God with us and he shall save us from our sins. The presence of God is incredibly important and it's important in our own lives as well. I remember in 2020, some of you guys were here at that point, some of you guys were not yet, but um, I essentially, I'd lost a, a ton of weight, which was great, but I'd lost it too fast and I wasn't taking care of myself nor my body. And so in September of 2020, I essentially just collapsed. My body just stopped. And I, I had a couple of different, I uh, passed out and had a seizure and spent a couple of days in the hospital, which was just not a great time at all. Um, but I, I remember for the couple of months after that, like my body was just shut down. And so I was just basically couch ridden and for the most part useless. I couldn't do anything. I, I was useless to everybody. Um, I wasn't preaching on Sundays, but I remember what a huge gift it was, the, the calls and the texts and the meals that were brought, the people that would come and, and, and be at our home and, and, and just sit with us and pray with me and the people that, would, uh, that gave us gifts and just an incredible amount of support. The ministry of presence is an incredibly important thing. Like God has wired us that way. He, he, des he desires for us to do that for, for one another, but he in himself has shown that he is the great initiator of this presence. He is the one that walked in the coolness of the garden, even though he knew that Adam and Eve had sinned. He's the one that before eternity passed had, had chosen to come and, and send his son that he may be with us. God is a God of presence, and the ministry of presence is an incredibly big deal. And because of that, we knew that we were loved. Our presence in people's lives matter. And so when we look at the idea of Advent and we look at the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming and being God with us, it's important that, that we see that this is meant to bring us a great deal of peace. And it's important to slow down and consider what this means in our lives. So we're going to look at the ministry of presence, the, the change, the peace that comes with Jesus being with us in three kind of harrowing stories in Mark chapter 5, okay? So we're reading 
We read Matthew 1, and that's kind of going to be our base text as we go throughout this Christmas season. But we're going to go throughout the Gospels and see different stories of how Jesus being with us and now the Holy Spirit being in us, how that shapes and changes and transforms our perspective. And in Mark 5, we find what one pastor called three cases of the incurables, three things that humanity had nothing for could not do anything about. We see one demon-possessed man. We see one woman who had bled for 12 years and a, young, uh, and a ruler whose daughter was passing away and eventually died. And we want, I want us to see, and I'm going to go through it. This is going to be shaped a little bit differently than normal sermons. But I'm going to go through, and there's going to be six ways that Jesus shows his ministry to them and with them, that Jesus was with them in different stages of their life. And then what I want us to do is we're going to look at five principles that are going to kind of be the guiding principles for us and that I want us to meditate on all throughout this Christmas season, okay? So let's look at Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 21. Next week, when we look at liberty to the captives, freedom then we're going to look at the first 20 verses. So looking at verse 21, we begin. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So we'll continue as, as we work through this passage because we're going to go all the way down to verse 43. But we see this at the very beginning in Mark 5, 21. It says that Jesus and his disciples again crossed the sea. So what we don't find is in the first part of the chapter, Jesus crosses the sea to go to um, essentially to a Gentile region. And we'll talk more about that next week. But then Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat and come back across the sea. And there's two appointments that I think Jesus is intentionally coming back across the sea for. And it's for Jairus and it's for this woman who has bled for 12 years. And the first kind of truth that I want us to, to marinate on and Jesus being with us and ultimately the Holy Spirit being in us now is that Jesus came back across the sea for two others. Next week, we will see for certain that Jesus intentionally went across the sea for one man. And I think he came back across the sea for two specific people. 
And we see that Jesus comes back across the sea for two others. So they hopped back in the boat and came across the Sea of Galilee. And they arrive on the shores of Capernaum. And again, the crowd is awaiting him. Jesus' ministry is blowing and going at this point. So crowds would essentially follow him wherever he went, hoping just to, to be able to hear him teach, to have, something, have uh, him heal someone or take care of some type of uh, uh, some type of illness or difficulty. And in desperation, we're introduced to this man named Jairus, to a father that comes to Jesus. Now, many of you in here have children or want to have children at some point in your life. And, and you can, I can only imagine, not as, as a dad myself, but, but just seeing that his daughter is going to die. Like it's, it's something that is going to happen. This was terminal. She was, she was slowly passing away. And you can only imagine, this says he's a ruler of the synagogue. Consider the fact that the rulers of the synagogue, did they like Jesus? No. no. They were part of the people that were like, we got to get rid of this guy. He's going he's gonna to blow up everything. He's going he's gonna to rid of all of our power and this institution and, and everything. And, and so they're like, I'm threatened by Jesus. I'm not going to go to him asking for help. But yet we see this father comes and, and lays himself at Jesus' feet. It, it says that, that he, he, he bowed down and was weeping and cried out to Jesus that his daughter is deathly sick. So he was a ruler of a synagogue. This means that, that he would have been wealthy, that he would have pre had prestige. This isn't somebody that would have been low in the world. This isn't like the demoniac on the other side of the sea who the people around him hated him, left him pretty much to die and to go crazy up in, in kind of this graveyard. This isn't the woman that was ceremonially unclean that nobody could touch. This was somebody of importance, of status. And yet what we find is him in desperation coming and laying himself at the feet of Jesus. He, he, he cast his dignity aside for his daughter because he believed Jesus could do something for himself and for his daughter that no one or nothing else could. It's amazing to me to, to see his desperation it says he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly he the mark could have just said that he implored him but it says no he implored him earnestly with such a severity and and a level of significance and cry that that it it deserved two kind of essentially adjectives and he says my little daughter is at the point of death come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. I'm amazed by that, that Jesus comes back across the sea, and we believe that Jesus is, is all-knowing. And so because of that, we know that he's, he's coming back across for these two appointments, in my opinion. For this ministry right here, Jesus doesn't run away from the hard stuff in our lives. He runs to us. He comes back towards us. That's good news. That's the good news of Christmas. 
And so Kent Hughes says it this way, that it was not his love for Christ that brought Jairus to Jesus. It was not what he could do for Christ. So it wasn't his pride thinking, man, if I went, we could team up and we could do some big things. It says it was his need. It was his desperation. It is often the realization of our great need. It was his desperation and glimmer of hope. And it says despair is commonly a prelude to grace. Jesus knew he was in this desperate state and he didn't run away from him, he came towards him. And so in that moment, Jesus meets him. But he didn't just come for Jairus. He came for this woman too. Look at verse 22 through 24. Then came one of the rulers. Oh, well, I've already skipped the part. That's my bad. The second part is Jesus listened to and went with Jairus. Look at this part is verse 24. So verse 24, we see that, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. This was like trying to get into one of those huge college football games. It's trying to get into Neyland or the Iron Bowl where there's just masses and masses of people. And so Jairus comes and somehow stands, stands kind of out among all the others. And Jesus goes with him. He hears this cry and Jesus doesn't say, no, thanks. I don't have time for that. Jesus is, is not inconvenienced by this man. When he hears his need, Jesus goes with him. It says Jesus was going along with him, even at the expense of all of the crowd that were kind of pressing in against him, also being needy. Jesus cares for us individually. Jesus goes with us through each and every part of our lives. And so we see that 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 second truth is that Jesus listened to him. He heard him and then he went with him after hearing his great need. Do you feel like that you can be honest about your need with with Jesus? Do you feel like you can kind of totally bear the depth of your soul and sometimes when you feel in despair, you can be honest about where you're at? There's something powerful about us allowing Jesus into those spaces because he knows about them already. So us allowing him into those spaces is only for our benefit, not his, because he knows. Will we allow Jesus to listen and go with us? Now we see in verse 34 that Jesus initiates another type of relationship. So the disciples kind of press around him and and there's this woman that reaches out, it says, because she believed that at that point, that even if you touched the garment of, of Jesus, that she could be healed. It says that she had 12 years bled. And what that means is that she was ceremonially unclean, meaning that she was cut off from human touch. She was cut off from the house of God. She was cut off from God. Anywhere that she sat, that someone would sit with her right after that, they would be unclean. This is a horrible human existence for 12 full years. And the story says that she reached out and she touched the garment and she said she felt 
immediately, Mark says. This is kind of shows the depth uh, and, and magnificence of Jesus' power, that immediately she was healed. That it wasn't him becoming unclean with her disease, but it's her becoming clean because of his touch. And that is what happens when we give our stuff to Jesus. And so in verse 34, we see something very, very curious. We'll, we'll, let's go up to 31 because I want to give it some context. It says, and his disciples said to him, you see the hundreds and thousands of people cr- pressing and crushing to get to touch you. What are you asking? Yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She was terrified. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And instead of belittling her, which probably society had done, instead of casting her out, which society had certainly done, He says, daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Why does Jesus stop? Have you ever considered that? She already had what she was looking for. So why does Jesus stop here? This is the point that I think he's trying to make, that Jesus is initiating a loving relationship with this broken woman. It's never enough for Jesus just to heal us of our infirmities. He wants always to initiate a a loving relationship with us, to restore us. And so he initiates, who did that? Not for his sake, he knew. The disciples didn't know, but he knew. But it was for her sake, so that she could come forward and for the first time, maybe since she was born, hear something other than, ugh, get away, move. She hears daughter. I love that so much. She tried desperately to 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 blend in and Jesus wouldn't let her because Jesus knew that she needed a healing touch. So he restores her in in the sight of God and in the sight of humanity. Aren't you glad that Jesus is with us and that his spirit is with us and he's restoring us? And he doesn't... He doesn't see us as the world sees us. He doesn't see us as we may even see ourselves. She would have never called herself daughter. He sees us as daughter or son. I love that so much. The fourth thing that we see in verses 35 and 36 is Jesus knew the depth of Jairus' need and he still spoke hope to him. Look at verse 35 and 36. Because in the midst of all this, remember, he's trying to go and heal Jairus' daughter. He's walking with him, and all of this commotion happens in the middle of it, kind of as an interruption. And then verse 35, it picks up. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. 
Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I think this is really important. In the gospels, the only time we see the words do not fear, it is spoken by either Jesus or one of his angels. That's all we ever see do not fear spoken from. When we see the the message and ministry of Jesus, what we experience is peace. He's saying, don't fear. There is hope. There's something better that's coming. And so he says to this man, don't give up hope. Even if they say she's dead, I'm still coming with you. Jesus went with him through this and he still spoke hope over him. Jesus is calling him and he's calling us to continue to have faith even when situations seem impossible by our standards. And he wants you to know that he knows that and he's still going with you. The fifth thing that we see in verses 38 through 40 is that Jesus continued with Jairus through the commotion and mess. This is a whole big ordeal. You just think your family Thanksgiving's crazy. Get to verse 38. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They left Jesus trying to laugh him out of the house. Basically, to add some context to this, every kind of death or funeral in in, uh, Israel at that time required these professional mourners to come in. And so everyone was required to hire at least one professional mourner. So these people most likely were not people that actually cared about this daughter or cared about Jairus the ruler, but as someone that of high prestige, he had to have many, many people. So they're, they're kind of putting on this show, essentially this play of, oh my gosh, we're weeping and mourning this woman's death. It wasn't because they cared about her or because of, they cared about him. It was because they were being paid to do it. And Jesus says, y'all just need to be quiet <laughs> for a second. Go outside because this girl is not dead. What what does that teach us about Jesus? As messy and crazy as that situation was, Jesus didn't say, hold up, I'm out now. I'm done. Even in messy, crazy, sticky, weird situations, Jesus is with us and walking with us through it. He doesn't say, peace. This is, this is, this is the limit. And I'm going to, I'm going to bounce. But he continues through it. Jesus walks with them through the circus, not just to the circus. And finally, we see in verses 40 and 41 that Jesus went into the room and he takes the girl's hand. Every time that Jesus touches someone they're healed or raised in this chapter. And so he says, verse 40, and they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, 
which means little girl, I say to you, arise. He took her by the hand. Look at the gentleness and the care and love and affection that Jesus has for this young girl. It wasn't just the dad and mom that cared about this little girl. Jesus did. And again, it says immediately. Notice how many times immediately has come up. This is already the third time. The girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So what do we learn from this? That Jesus goes into the room, the deepest, darkest places where there is only death in your life and my life, and he brings back to life. And he restores Where is that in your life? What do you need to be reminded of this Christmas season? Here's principles for us to remember that we're going to go over every single time that we're here together this this Christmas. The first one is, is this, that God being with us means that Jesus is not far. Jesus is not far. In fact, unlike the disciples who Jesus was surrounded, like he was with them, through his spirit, Jesus is in us. If you're a believer in here, Jesus is never far. The second thing is that Jesus is not scared. He's not scared off by the tough stuff, by the messy stuff. He's not scared off by the, the, the real pains of life. Third thing that we see in this chapter is Jesus is not weak. He is gentle and he is caring and he's an affectionate, but he is not weak. He can handle this. The fourth thing that we see is Jesus is not indifferent. He doesn't walk away from the stuff, but he comes to it. He comes across the sea. He comes into the midst of our lives with the messy stuff, and he cares. He loves. He's not calloused. He's not impatient. The final thing is that I want us to be reminded of is that Jesus is still transforming and restoring today. This is something that you and I can experience now if we let him. He's not far. He's not weak. He's not scared off. And he's not indifferent. That's such good news. And that means we can, ex- we can experience Jesus' peace and his touch now if we turn to him and open our eyes open our hands, open our heart up to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, this Christmas season, there's a lot going on. For some people, it is a time of joy and excitement, and that's wonderful. May we not forget you in the midst of our busyness. God, for some, it is a very difficult season. May they know that you're not scared off by that. You're not offended by it. But in fact, you walk toward it. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for your care. Thank you, Jesus, that you initiate and invite us into a relationship and that in doing so, you restore us and you call us daughter or son. And that's not a title that's taken away. So help us, God, to to experience your presence But also, Lord, as we go on mission, you promise to be with us wherever we go. But you're calling us, Lord, 
to be a part of this ministry of presence, to go into people's lives and to show these same qualities that your spirit gives to us. And so Lord, if there's someone in our mind today, if, if we're kind of in, in a space where, you know, we're feeling pretty good, God, will you give us a sensitivity? Will you put a name on our heart and our mind of someone that we need to be not far off from? Someone that we don't need to be scared by their difficulties. Someone that we don't need to be indifferent to. God, someone that we need to bring to you as the restorer of people. God, put someone on our mind and our heart. Help us to experience your peace this season and and into eternity. In your name I pray, amen.